Uh, hello. Hi. Hello. Holy cow. Audience, you guys have stumbled into a freaking rat's nest today. I'm not even going to lie to you. I think this is the first time I've ever hit the record button out of spite. <laughs> because I hiccuped. Sid is over here being disruptive as all get out, not letting us start the podcast. So I said, oh, we're not recording. I said, well, yeah, we are now. Fine, then I won't hiccup anymore. Guys, hang on. We need to focus on the important news here, though. All right. American Horror Story characters who look completely different in real life, right? So the claim here, and I have not verified this yet, but the claim is that Pepper from American Horror Story is a bombshell she's okay. in real life. I wouldn't say a bombshell, but she's cute. Have you read this story already? No, but I've like seen her before. It's, oh, no. Oh, no. No. Is it worth it? It's multiple pages, people. Uh-oh. And there's like 65 ads on this page. <laughs> what if she's like on the very last one? Guarantee she is. Oh, we all know that Kathy Bates doesn't have a beard, guys. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. I'll give you... Uh, oh, no. Okay. Oh, he's not actually a zombie? Lance Reddick is not a zombie? <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. Holy crap. Eileen Wernos is in American Horror Story? Yeah, they do like one episode. Hmm. That's actually kind of cool. It's a really bad season. Don't watch it. Uh Oh, wow. She's not all scaly. Oh, boy. Full screen sprint ad. Let's go. One more. This is your last chance. Okay, you're done. She's not a bombshell. It's been declared. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Hello and welcome. Oh, you want to do this part, Hello too? Hello and welcome. You want to do this part? Is that what you're saying? No. You think you can do it better? No. Go for it. I know I can't. Try it out. I don't even know what's next. Hello and <laughs> welcome to episode 40 of We Watch Movies and Then 40. Talk About Them. It's a good you episode. want to do this part? No, I just was excited that we we're at 40. Hello and welcome <laughs> to episode 40 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. The only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There, there may be, be there, there, <laughs> <laughs> there may be others where other people watch movies and then talk about it, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hello, that's uh, me. That's you. Yeah. And Sid's here too. Yeah, I'm here. Sid's in She's freaking, at my right. Sid's in hiccup jail. I hiccuped once. <laughs> How many times did you hiccup, Becca? None, but I got blamed for one. <laughs> all right, well, I'm the only one in the clear here then. Fine, well, I'm going to make myself get the hiccups. How do you do that? Uh, drink lots of soda. You don't have any soda. I'm going to run to Maverick. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yes. I will be back. Guys. We'll, I'll stall for you. <laughs> guys, best. guys. 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 Let's focus here. <laughs> All right. Come on. Rain it in. Rain it in. Today, we are talking about Guillermo del Toro's 2006 multi-academy award winning film, Pan's Labyrinth, which... In Spanish, has a much better name, The Labyrinth of the Fawn. I think that's a really cool name. That is a cool name. It's better than Pan's Labyrinth, but seeing as he is fluent in both English and Spanish, I have to assume that he also named the film in English. So I don't think they like had like a translation intern that they just handed it over to him. Like, <laughs> Say, Diego, what do you think this movie should be called? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth stars some people i don't know doing some stuff it is the story of the spanish or i guess just after the spanish civil war it takes place in 1944 and there is a group of rebels there is a group of fascists and they are combating with each other and caught in the middle is poor little ophelia who is just a nice little girl who likes fairy tales and fairies and tales. Good one. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. It was okay. just a description of the movie. She likes fairies and tales. Yeah, I assume. All right. Are we talking like like a story tale or a dog tale? It's called a double entendre. <gasps> it could be both. It could be neither. It has to be one of them. It could be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we watched this movie today. It's in Spanish. 
Um, probably one of the few, I would say, foreign language film. Not the. I would say it's one of the few foreign language films to really get some traction in the United States. We do not like to read, and it's very difficult to get people to uh, see movies that are not in English. And actually, the first time that I saw this, I didn't know it was in Spanish. I just assumed because it was talked about so much that it was in English. Most people didn't. When they did their advertising, they didn't have any dialogue in the trailers. That's so smart. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, everyone was pissed when they got there. Like, I have to read? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a free American. I don't have to read. When <laughs> you come to America, you better learn English. <laughs> I mean, the whole movie was dubbed anyway, so. Yeah. They could have done it, but they didn't. Good on you, Guillermo. What a champ. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a, a feat that was uh, repeated by Alfonso Cuarón's film last year, Roma. Also got a lot of traction. Not as much as this. Mm-mm. It was mostly talked about inside the film community, but it did win several Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Cinematography, an award that it shares with Pan's Labyrinth. Should have won more. I don't know, dude. Here's the thing. Let's just talk about this right off the top, right? Before we get into hot takes no, or anything. No, I'm talking about... Oh, Roma. Roma. Yeah. I thought you meant Pan's Labyrinth yeah. should have won more. Okay. Yeah, Roma should have won everything. Yeah, Roma definitely should have won more. Green Book. I'm out. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking here. This was actually a fairly decent year for movies, right? Uh, this was 2006. This was the year that The Departed won Best Picture, which is a hard one to argue with, except for the fact that Children of Men also came out this year. Um... Children of Men wasn't even nominated for Best Picture, which is crazy. But the big three all had movies this year. Uh, Guillermo had this. He had Pan's Labyrinth. Iñárritu had uh, Babel, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is good. And Cuaron had Children of Men. Sweet. So. And it was, this was before they all just started passing the trophy around. (laughs) So. I just want to know who's, uh, I guess none of them really have anything on deck for this year, huh? Mm -mm. That sucks. So somebody else is going to win Best Director? They're yeah. finally going to let someone else have it? Michael Bay. <laughs> Michael Bay? Yes. Long know, overdue. Just, here's the thing. It's so, it's so hard to even make any predictions this early in the year. Because obviously your front runners are Midsummer and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And if we're being realistic, then your only front runner is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because the Academy hates genre films. Mm-hmm. But... We got some heavy hitters. You got the you got the Irishman coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, Lighthouse. Lighthouse, which again is going to get ignored. Probably. But it finally has a release date. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. That 1917 trailer just dropped, mm. um, which I think looks dumb. I didn't even watch the trailer. I don't like war movies. Um, I feel like it could be making a push. I would love it. I would love it. Yeah. Right. I will love it. Yes. And, like, we're just barely starting to get into Oliver. The, gosh, I swear on my life, if Tom Hanks wins Best Actor for impersonating Mr. Rogers, so gosh darn help me. <laughs> I will not abide that. <laughs> I can't. I'm so done with these biopics. I swear on my life. I, oh, my gosh. I can't even, like, and uh, there's nothing against Mr. Rogers. Fine, dude. Grew up watching his show. But can we stop making biopics? They're not good. They're really not, and they're not that interesting. Last good biopic I saw was Steve Jobs. And that was literally exclusively because, uh, I just lost his name. Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender was incredible. Um, Aaron Sorkin mm. just like yeah. said, hey, what if we did this, but all of these people were super witty? <laughs> like <laughs> biopics are only good if they're written by uh, Aaron Sorkin because we have the social network, we have Steve Jobs. I mean, and that's the thing is like, it's hard to look at something like Bohemian Rhapsody or like Darkest Hour and be like, oh, well, they don't deserve an Oscar because their performance is incredible. But like, can we just... Can we, can we just do something different, guys? Seriously, mm-hmm. I swear on my life. If Tom Hanks wins for freaking a flippity day in the neighborhood, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I just, I can't, people. It can't, Let's just not. I don't even want to go see that movie. You don't have to. I know. That's a nice thing. In any case, 
We're talking about Pan's Labyrinth today. Yes. yes. It uh, it actually beat Children of Men in for cinematography. Wow. Which is kind of a gosh darn shame. Yeah, I'd have to say so. Yeah. yeah. Like Children of Men. That's uh, episode three of We Watch Movies and then talk about them. You can hear us gush about the cinematography in that movie, but it's it's really something special. Um, Lubezki is a master, mm. and we love him. Love was him. Children of Men nominated for cinematography? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth, Children of Men, Black Dahlia, The Illusionist, and The Prestige. The Prestige came out this year. Mm. Heavens, folks! That didn't get nominated. It got nominated for cinematography, but I think that's it. Prestige is a uh, hot take here. Prestige, the Prestige is Christopher Nolan's best movie. It's up there for sure. I think it's. In my humble opinion. It is. I have not seen Following or Insomnia. Like his, those, those are his pre-Memento movies. Uh-huh. Isn't he redoing Memento? Supposedly, but I'm excited for also, Tenet. I, he- I heard that the trailer for Tenet dropped in like a few theaters. Apparently, it was like john david washington on screen for 10 seconds and they're like tenant because it doesn't come out until december of 2020 oh like what are they expecting to have happen or maybe no it's july of 2020 dune got pushed to december of 2020 okay that's what i was thinking of um but freaking robert pattinson like i mean he's got his michael Caine in there but like he's finally branching out he's doing an original thing again which is awesome but here's your definitive ranking of Christopher Nolan movies while we talk about Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> right, because we're on to it. It goes The Prestige, everything else. Oh, that's quick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. No, The Prestige, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Dark Knight, Inception, then everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's a good list. <sighs> Take a drink of water. All right, folks, let's get into this, right? Pan's Labyrinth, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, there's a lot of things to like about this movie, but uh, here's how the show's going to go down at this point. Uh, you can hear me ramble for approximately 12 minutes, and then we will get into the discussion of the movie. We'll start out with some hot takes, and then we'll do the actual discussion. Sid has graciously uh, cultivated the best of the best of IMDb movie trivia. She read it so you don't have to. After that, we will get into other topics, and who knows where that will go. Maybe I'll get mad about Tom Hanks again. I don't know. <laughs> There's really no way to tell. I'll but, get mad about something. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I could get angry about something if we want to do that. <laughs> I got no problem with that. Um, but let's go. Uh, wait, hang on. Just to give the people a preview, we will be spoiling uh, Pan's Labyrinth, the 13-year-old movie. Uh, I guess that's your own fault at this point. But uh, said before we get too far into it, uh, where do we stand on the scale of existential dread? I forgot to ask you last week, and I'm sorry. Um, so you have a stats test this week. Oh, that really has to come into effect, huh? Yeah. yeah. So we're about at a solid eighty-five. Eighty-five. How yeah. much of oh. how much of that was? the movie's fault though uh yeah added like 3.8 so it's mostly the stats test mostly okay yeah <laughs> yeah mostly the stats all right well then uh let's do some hot takes don't burn yourself on these hot takes <laughs> wow since just trying to host the podcast yeah. you're more than welcome to if you I'm want to taking over <laughs> Becca, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. Wow. Yeah. Um, I loved this movie. I hadn't seen it, so this was my first time. And Andrew has made me watch a lot of foreign films, mostly Russian, very slow, some in black and white. You say, oh, oh okay, let's clear the air here. <laughs> I've made you watch a few foreign films, two of them in Russian, and one of them in black and white. Okay, well, I just, I just have to like set the stage for like what i expect when andrew says foreign film and i do i prefer european film it's usually i guess this is technically european because it's long slow sometimes in black and white 
and obviously in another language. (laughs) So it's usually like I have to prep myself for a long movie. That is just, you you just don't understand Soviet cinema properly. All right, let's just. Well, you just need to not give me Soviet cinema yet and just give me other better foreign films. Ouch. That's such a harsh hot take. Pan's Labyrinth. That's such a harsh hot take. Holy cow, I'm burning over here. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I loved it. I like forgot that it was in Spanish. I mean, I know I had to read subtitles the entire time. But, like, once you get into it, you're into it, and it doesn't feel like work to watch it. Like, I don't know. You can watch and still enjoy the story, even though it's in another language. And, like, yeah, it just didn't feel like a different language to me. And I just really enjoyed it. I love fairy tales. I've always loved fairy tales. But I love when they have, like, a darker twist or are more, like, grounded the way pan's labyrinth is and so i just i really enjoyed all the fairy tale aspects of this movie and the story and the acting like i thought it was fantastic i'm excited to talk about all the things right on sid how hot is your hot take uh it's pretty hot nice um yeah i really like this movie i saw it about a year ago um and i think kind of along the same lines as becca this is a great introduction into foreign film um i've been trying to get more into it it can be hard um because you you know you have to give your undivided attention for at most two hours and sometimes it can be hard especially with the more daunting movies um but this movie is just it's fun but it's also super dark and it's whimsical i just love how um guillermo can mix just the dark and creepy aspect with all the cool fairy tale aspect and it's just so interesting and i i love just visually everything that he puts on screen it's so awesome um yeah i don't know i don't have too much else to say right now but it's great i love it we love you del toro guillermo del toro (laughs) we do love you guillermo um, I do. Sorry, before you go, Andrew, I do want to say I don't hate foreign film. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes, the I backpedaling. Have, well, okay, they're hard to watch for sure, but I have enjoyed a lot of aspects of every foreign film that Andrew has made me watch. But I guess just advice to you that you should have known in for my past self. <laughs> is introduce me to easier movies first and pan's labyrinth like sid said is a great introduction to foreign film so you're trying to tell me that stalker is not the best (laughs) first foreign film to watch yes that's exactly what i'm trying to tell you um underground and repentance those were fine no we watched repentance before we watched Stalker. we did repentance was fine i think that was the first one repentance is just as slow and abstract as any of the tarkovsky though but it's shorter and i feel like it it seems isn't it like a little bit more comical it feels lighter to me it's Georgian. It's not Russian. So you get like, they're allowed to be a little happy sometimes where Russians have to be sad all the time. Yeah. Like there's like no happiness in the Russian. It, yeah. well, and no light. And it's all black and white. Like <laughs> one movie was black no, and white. Stalker's black and white for the first half or sepia or whatever. It's sepia for like 30 minutes and it's a two hour and 45 minute movie. I think you can make it through. <laughs> right. Anyway, we don't have to talk about it, but I do. I just wanted to say to our audience, I guess, that like, um, don't like you should get into foreign film if it's something you're interested in. But starting with something like Pan's Labyrinth or Roma is a lot easier. Even Roma is because like this one. I guess I'll jump right into my hot take then. Okay. Um, at least comparing it to Roma is like an entry point for foreign film. Roma, I feel like. Uh, does require more of the audience than this one does. This one, you're really able to, like you said, kind of forget that you're watching a foreign film Mm -hmm. Um, just because of how inviting the movie is. Uh, Roma, I feel like, is very warm on the inside, but very cold on the outside. Mm -hmm. I also feel like um, 
Roma is like an introductory to someone who is interested in film, Pan's Labyrinth would probably be like someone who's kind of more like passive because it has like yeah. it has more of a, a plot to it and like yeah it's just you know there's more stuff going on yeah roma is very much a film film like it's yep. it's slow and it's a little bit longer actually i think it's just over two hours isn't it yeah back, I don't, back it's, me up yeah here. it's about two hours um but even still like a lot of the images are a little more abstract and two hours 15 yeah so I think this is out of all of the foreign films that I've seen, this is probably one of the better first ones to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to just how much I love del Toro. Like I got to say watching him accept awards for the shape of water was just like the freaking most heartwarming thing that has ever warmed my heart. Cause he's just like a big kid. Mm-hmm. He's just like so goofy and happy and like even when he's giving his acceptance speeches and that like youthful exuberance really comes through in his work um but he's also like a dark dude Mm -hmm. so like he's able to really mix those two sides super well and like there's a reason that people get excited when his name gets attached to something because nobody is able to take these really heavy dark uh not always dark but heavy themes and make them very digestible by pairing them with these really fantastical elements so um you know when he wants to make a film about you know loss of innocence framed in the spanish civil war he doesn't make a Spanish version of boy in the striped pajamas. You know what I mean? He makes a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And when he wants and to he's so good at fairy tales, exactly. And when he wants to make a movie about, you know, toxic masculinity and, um, you know, independent womanhood and true love, he makes the shape of water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's able to take these really heavy themes and pair them with these just fantasy elements to make them super digestible and super entertaining, but you still get the vibe. Like nobody would watch Pan's Labyrinth and be like, oh yeah, that's just, that's a happy movie. All right. Like it's still super dark Mm -hmm. and like a lot of bad stuff happens, but like it's all tempered by this fairy tale. That's it's really being told parallel to the actual story of the movie. I don't know. And he's, he's, He's able to do that like almost nobody else that I can think of. It's, it actually reminds me of a lot of Eastern European cinema, not Russian necessarily, mm-hmm. but like Polish cinema, for example. A lot of the times they pair really wacky elements with these really dark themes uh, to, I guess, they used it more as a coping mechanism, like to come to grips with the fact that like they were living under a totalitarian regime kind of a thing. But I feel like Guillermo del Toro uses it to kind of deconstruct different stages of life. And that's really exciting to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. And I just think it's like storytelling at its best. Like a story is supposed to like bring you into this different world and show you things that maybe don't happen in your world and aren't realistic um, but then you can still learn things to apply to your life or it still like has those deeper meanings and those deeper lessons and themes. And I think this does that really well. Yeah, for sure. I thought Sid was going to jump in there, but she didn't. Um, I mean, you don't have to, uh, I, it, you had to look like you were going to. So I, I kind of blinked a little bit. That's perfect. But I would just like to say, I too love Guillermo. The part where like he went on stage after they announced the Shape of Water one, and he like checked the envelope, yeah, and like showed it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably my favorite part of any Oscars ever. Um, did you forget Olivia Coleman's acceptance speech? Oh, that was how could I? Because that's probably the best Oscar <laughs> okay. moment ever. Top two. Okay. Best moments ever. That's there. fair. Top three. Um. 
Bohemian Rhapsody not winning. <laughs> <laughs> My number one Oscar moment is Green Book winning the Oscar for Best Picture. And a bunch of old white dudes went up on stage. <laughs> and Have you seen um, someone, they edited their acceptance speech for best editing in the style of bohemian rhapsody it's horrible oh my gosh because it's horrible oh yeah the editing in that movie is atrocious the oscars this last year were a joke um don't get me started we talk about that uh actually we don't have an episode yeah we we have a lot of episodes talking about it we're really upset about bohemian rhapsody what was the episode right after the oscars i know we talked about it for a bit after um, I'm not sure. Just there's the Oscar nomination extravaganza, the mm-hmm. episode immediately following that. Yeah, just at the very end. <laughs> yeah. Hear just hear us yell. It's bad. It's it's really bad. It's really bad. Hands Labyrinth. We're off track today, guys. It's alright. I'm angry now. Well. Let's talk about a good movie. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth is a good movie. Um one thing I do want to talk about, this one the Oscar for Best Cinematography. I brought that up earlier. Um, but I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Watching it, I don't know that that's what I came away impressed with. No, I think. <laughs> Jeez. Sorry, I've been smoking a lot. Lately. Do you have a giant frog <laughs> living been, in your throat? Yes, I'm gonna throw up my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it kind of. This also won for best art direction. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people were like putting them together, which like they do kind of go hand in hand. Um, but just Children of Men is the real winner. But I mean, even like if I were to compare it with Children of Men, like I didn't even know until I looked it up after that that's what it yeah. beat. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there was a few cool shots, like a few transition shots, mm-hmm. um, like when she is down in the in the fig tree, and it does this like panning shot where it goes over and kind of slides. And then it's the guests getting out of the car. I was like, oh, that's a cool shot. Yeah. There were some cool shots, but like overall, I don't think it was. I guess, I don't know. We give a lot of credit to like color palette and like crazy shots. One thing that I feel like this did excel on as far as cinematography goes was uh, lighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's very distinct feels between the real world and the fantasy world. And a lot of that does come down to lighting. Which it's easy to forget that the cinematographer is in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Or the DP, I guess is what they call them. Um, what's your favorite part of this movie? Was it a favorite scene and or sequence? What stuck with you? Ooh. That's a tough one. I have to like yeah. think about that for a second, I think. I think mine, even though it's the... M- creepiest part in the movie it's when she goes and the pale man is there because mm. it's he's so cool he's so cool but it's such a horrifying scene and you just like feel so anxious watching everything the, the pile scene. the pile yeah. of shoes but oh. everything about that scene i don't know just like the table is just like decorated with all this beautiful food and he's just like sitting there not moving and then you got like the murals above him of just, him stabbing children yeah um but like read the room ophelia you know what i mean <laughs> you're really gonna risk it all for a grape couple of grapes you can like grab some bread a grape so anyway <laughs> i just think that i don't know that scene like stands out the most to me because it has like a different feel to it like a lot of the movie has a feel of urgency to it but that one especially very stressful yeah it's very stressful and also why did she draw the door on the ceiling i don't i think it was so he couldn't follow her as well like i thought that was actually pretty smart then she climbs up and he okay like if she went oh. straight through then like all he would have to do is like is reach like through and okay. go through with her i can see that mm. anyway i just think that scene's awesome but it also scares me that scene is awesome I don't know if that I can pick like one specifically, but I do think that just all the scenes of her in this fantasy world. So like obviously that one, the scene with the toad where she goes into the tree is really incredible. Like her just walking down 
like into the labyrinth and meeting uh, the fawn for the first time. Like, I don't know, just all the ones where she's in her fantasy world are the scenes that stick out the most to me. Yeah, I'm going to ultra cheat here. Um, and I'm going to have a multi-way tie. I'm not sure how many way. Um, any scene with the fawn is my favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is like leagues and measures uh, my favorite part of this movie. I think that everything from the design of his character, his knobby weirdo knees bend the wrong way, uh, the... The, the performance that Doug Jones gives and then the guy who does the voice, I forget his name, uh, but it's two people. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he speaks, um, you guys wouldn't notice this, I suppose, but um, he speaks in like old Spanish. Like it's a different, he, he uses different words and um, different verb conjugations that are like, were reserved for royalty, like, back in the olden olden days like he doesn't speak he doesn't speak modern spanish which is a, a cool touch to have mm-hmm. it sounds really cool to have him sit, like to have him speak that um he's like sassy mm-hmm. which i like and like you can never tell if he's a good guy or a bad guy i don't know just and every interaction that she has with him i just want to i just want like an hour and a half movie of just him talking mm-hmm. and walking around and telling stories like doing that weird like shutter thing yeah <laughs> oh man i just seriously i was just i would i would buy like a companion set of just like him pacing around a dirty room telling fairy tales i would love that i it just every scene with him on screen i would i i just get so freaking wrapped in mm-hmm and I think that's definitely, like, I mean, the biggest part of that is Doug Jones. Like, pretty much any movie that they slap some makeup on him, like, mm-hmm. he is the star, at least for that scene. What? What should we... Like he's... Oh, he does the pale man, too. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, oh, really? And he was the, the fish in Shape of Water, the fish oh. in Hellboy. Um, like, he does a lot, a lot of... Um, like heavy makeup stuff yeah because like if you look at him like he's a really scrawny like lanky guy so he just like can move his body that works so well for some of these movies yeah geez he is prolific he is all over the place yeah and i haven't heard of any of these yeah i think they even got him for the bye bye man which is a horrible movie did you see that no but i've heard oh yeah he plays the bye-bye man i've heard like podcasts talking about how horrible it is i wanted to go see it when it came out just because it looked so (laughs) awful but like yeah he he's like the number one guy in those movies Ooh, yeah i just saw this he plays the vampire in a new remake of nosferatu Who is this guy? David Lee Fisher? He only has a remake of The uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. But now he's remaking Nosferatu? I'm interested in that. Yeah, that'd be... If they can do it right, it would be awesome. That'd be really cool. I want to watch more vampire movies. I think vampires are way cool. But yeah, jumping back. He... Yeah, he, ju- he just... He, he he just commands your attention mm-hmm. when he's on screen. Yeah. It, oh my gosh. He's just incredible. That's a pause. <laughs> oh, got it. Just for us to <laughs> fully take in how incredible he how is. How incredible he is. Yeah. Moment of silence for Doug Jones. Moment he, of silences are a terrible he, idea on a podcast. You is, understand that, right? <laughs> he is not dead. We just like him. Everyone shut up. So we give a moment of silence to people we so don't like. Everyone shut up. I don't want to shut up. Thank you for your time. <laughs> okay. Great job. Great job. Um, how about... I think it's a really smart uh, the way that he 
the way that Guillermo del Toro decided to shoot the captain as well. Mm-hmm. And not with the gun, I mean. How he meant to shoot him with the camera. Um, he really, like, even in the the real world, right? He shoots it like, uh, not even like a fairy tale, but like, uh, very exaggerated in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to the captain. Like, there's a lot of like low angle shots looking up at him uh, to make him look really tall and menacing. Um, he has a lair for crying out loud. Like, seriously. That screams bad guy. Yeah, his office is like the guts of this mill that they have repurposed into a country home. Like, dude literally has a lair. He, I don't know, he, he, he portrays him as a villain, and he definitely is a villain. Mm-hmm. Seems like Guillermo del Toro does not side with the fascists. Yeah. But he's, like, very dramatized. Mm-hmm. Like, like, from the get-go, you know this guy is the worst. And he just, like, because it's, it's supposed to be a fairy tale. Yeah. And in fairy tales, they make their villains known. Mm-hmm. And he does a really good job of that, of just, like, this is the guy that you hate and you hate him yeah because he sucks well and even what you were saying becca as far as like it being just really really good storytelling at its base Mm -hmm. like they you know even just think about the very opening scenes right like they're in the cars and we see oh she finds this rock with an eye in it puts it in the thing and then this this fairy pops out right we're like okay this is gonna get weird they show up at the house she doesn't like the captain they go to bed that night he comes out bashes a dude's face in with a bottle like 10 minutes into the movie yeah like there's no like oh is he actually a good guy it's like no from the outset bad guy yeah mm-hmm. and even when like he reaches into the bag and like they were just hunting rabbits he's just like well this is your fault yeah. person who called me not me who bashed his face in with a bottle super gruesome by the way oh yeah all the gore in this movie is a bit much for me. I'm sure that Ari Aster just has this film like <laughs> on repeat all the time. Oh, he's it's like hard. There's like there's not a lot of it, but when it's it's very brutal. What yes, there is, yeah, yeah. Listening to you guys yell when she put the the knife in his mouth. Oh, I totally forgot about that. I was waiting oh, for that part because I like for some reason really like that part, probably because he sucks so much. And I was waiting for your guys' reactions. You guys felt empowered by that moment is what it was. Oh, yeah. She's not just a woman. Not just a woman. (laughs) She's a woman with a knife. That's much scarier than just a woman. (laughs) But women are more than just women or women with knives. Yes. Girl power. Feminism. Let's do it. Here's the thing, though. I got to say, her work ethic not really up to snuff because she hates him so well she could have at least finished the one job right she stabs him like six times and then is like yep i'm out i know (laughs) you never this is if you've learned anything from any movie or story you never let the bad guy live no you double check and they were double checking all over the place they were pulling john wicks they were headshot and dead bodies like you double check because she's now the reason that ophelia gets shot as far as I'm concerned. That's true. Mercedes, yeah. you really messed it up. Ew. But it had to be that way to finish the story out. <laughs> so then let's talk about this. Does she just die? Like, is there just no fairy tale at all? I think so. I think the moment, like the moment that it really hit me was when... um she's running away from the captain in the labyrinth and she's talking to the fawn and then he runs up behind her and you see her still talking to him but he can't see her he can't see the fawn i mean yeah he can't see the fawn i feel like that's when it all like that's the moment that everything like both stories kind of collide and to me like the fairy tale throughout the entire story was just like her way of dealing with all the crap that was going on around her it's and just this a coping mechanism. Yeah. And just like this awful man who's now her 
dad and like now she has a way like she's got chalk so she can draw a door on her wall and she can go into this magical world and she's actually a princess and she's going to take her brother with her and they're going to escape and they're going to go into this magical land where she can be a princess and like that's the moment for me when he sees that there's nothing there where it like all kind of ends and it's just real life now like she has to come to terms with the fact that like it was all in her head so then that's what i think her little vision is just her light at the end of the tunnel or what yeah that's yeah i kind of think that one's just kind of like she's dying and so she like she's just imagining this better place like there are a lot of people who would say that the vision is like the afterlife and she's going to be with her parents but i just think it was kind of like a comforting thing for her in that moment yeah to just like imagine that she's still going to be able to go to this kingdom and be princess and it's not just death after this yeah well and it it's i mean it it reinforces the theme as well i think the biggest uh theme in this movie is loss of innocence right yeah that she is forced into this very adult world at a very young age um and not only does she have a loss of innocence but we as the audience experience it as well because like we're so latched onto her Mm-hmm. And we almost like we experience this fantasy through her eyes. And then when she dies and we see that it's not real, like you said, like that's a little piece of us that dies as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, it just drives home that theme by not only like showing a character losing their innocence, but like forcing us to, I guess, gain back and then lose some of ours again. Mm-hmm. And even the way that it's, filmed there in the end where it like shows her vision and then it like just cuts back to her and it's like really dark but she's still alive and she's smiling like she hasn't died yet so like that vision was just a bit like it was just in her head yeah you know perception is reality yeah so she died happy yeah i guess that's what we can ask for i don't know it's incredibly depressing yeah it is especially because she's such a cute little girl she is so cute little brat okay but her stepdad was a total dick so (laughs) she should be a brat she's allowed to be a brat it's fair so then what about when the mom burns the mandrake root and it screams is she the only one that hears it scream i think so Yes, I'm still not entirely sure how the mandrake... And where did she get it? Yeah, how that is affecting real life. Like Maybe she just found it in her room? And also, why was everyone so mad that there was a mandrake under the bed? Yeah. It's a plant, guys. Well, and the mom did get mysteriously better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she did, like, die as soon as she burned it. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just like kind of Ophelia's way of taking care of her brother almost. Like if she's taking care of the mandrake, she's taking care of him. And then as soon as the mandrake is burned, she can't take care of him or the baby anymore. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying like, yeah, there is that scene where, you know, the captain comes in and she's talking to the fawn, but he doesn't see her. But there are pretty distinct connections between the fantasy world and the real world yeah well because oh wait i guess that that makes and like sense. the the book of crossroads like she had that book yeah it was blank but she had it mm-hmm. like that was real where did that come from yeah yeah and there's like chalk drawn on her wall which obviously she could have just drawn and there but. is a labyrinth with a weird spiral staircase <laughs> down into the earth yes like that's real Yes, but, like, all of those things, like, when you take, like, a young girl in a place she doesn't want to be, who loves stories and loves fantasies and wants to escape, like, it would be so easy for her to create a fantasy to, like, find a book in the woods randomly and be like, wow, this must be something really special. And then, like, find this labyrinth and just, like, create something out of that. Yeah, I mean, I... I all I'm saying is I, I think I agree with you that like none of it was real, but 
I guess my point is that I don't know that it's is exactly cut and dry as just like yeah the captain didn't see the font so it's not real yeah because yeah. there like I said there are connections between the fantasy world and the real world mm-hmm. that are observed by other characters mm-hmm. well I think that's what makes it so good is that it's like like I said in my hot take it's a very grounded fairy tale like it feels like it could be real mm-hmm. almost yeah for sure so that's what makes it so good too I don't know. And I think we're closing up, right? Are we Are we like missing any threads you guys wanted to pull uh, on? One thing just that I wanted to mention quickly. Um, another big theme that I noticed because um, from the trivia, I kind of mentioned it, um, is disobedience. And they mention mm. it um, a few times in the movie. Uh, the doctor says like pretty much to obey just for the sake of obeying is something that you do like Mm -hmm. you know um but so yeah there's a little bit of trivia where people are just like ophelia's stupid for eating the grape which like she kind of is yeah but it's read the room yeah um but ultimately um guillermo says it's about courageous disobedience and that's also like what um uh the resistances to the spanish soldiers like it's um it's kind of like doing something for something better and like the fawn says something where he says before he's like i need to like pretty much sacrifice your brother Mm -hmm. she's like no i don't want to um and he's pretty much like you said you would obey me so obey me Mm -hmm. and but she disobeys because she believes in something higher something better so that i like that theme. that's very that's, good i yeah. like that a lot thank you because then yeah like the doctor talked to the captain but he was also talking to like the resistance and saying well like you kill him they're gonna just come with more more yeah. captains and more armies like it's pointless basically but that wasn't gonna stop them yeah well and to that point it didn't stop the doctor Mm-hmm. Yeah. He still helped them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a bit of a nihilist, but he still... Like, he was being... Or not a nihilist, a pessimist. He was being, like, reasonable. Yeah. But he was still, like, I still believe in this, so I'm still going to help them. And I'm going to... Yeah. I'm going to help this boy die so he's not in any more pain. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. A true ally that will actually die for the cause. That's a good thread to pull on. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think I would just say this movie is a joy to watch. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. It's really entertaining. And there are some things bubbling under the surface. So why don't we jump into the rest of the trivia? Mm -hmm. And then we will do final thoughts and place this movie on the Western scale, the only definitive way to rank movies on a scale of 1 to 10. All right. Let's get into it. Um, Del Toro repeatedly said no to big Hollywood producers. Um who were going to double his budget in order for him to change it to English. Um, and he said he didn't want to compromise the storyline to suit the market needs. Good on you, my guy. Dude, that's yeah. a baller move. Yeah, I think it was great. Um, Del Toro also gave up his entire salary um, to see this film pretty much become real. And he says it, it was worth it for him. Because I feel like this wow. was like the big movie that... like let him have total liberty like he had the hellboy movies but they don't totally feel like a del toro movie to Mm -hmm. me at least i've never seen them they're decent i mean they're better than the newest hellboy so i guess that's something to (laughs) be proud of um stephen king was sitting next to del toro at one of the screenings and del toro said that um king was squirming when the pale man was chasing ophelia um and he compared it to winning an oscar just to scare the crap out of stephen king that's awesome um all the subtitles were translated by del toro himself because he had problems in the past i actually did know that one look at you i know i feel special (laughs) um the fawn's legs were not computer generated um they like had a special rig so he gets doug jones could still walk and then after um, post-production, they digitally removed his legs. 
uh, the captain's what? Fun fact. Uh, this is totally unrelated, but that's similar. Um, there's a shot in Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the video on that? I I haven't seen the video, but I like know what they did. He goes to visit uh, Lieutenant Dan, mm-hmm. and Lieutenant Dan has no legs. Yeah. But um, Gary Sinise does, <laughs> and so they. But there's this scene where he like rotates around, and his legs would have had to go through a table. But they CGI an entire table just to make it <laughs> seem like because it's these little like subconscious things that your brain sees the legs swivel like that and you know that a leg would hit a table if it was there but he doesn't hit the table so you're like a little bit more brought in mm-hmm. little things like that that's cool so it probably just like allowed his movement to be more natural mm-hmm. yeah and then take his legs out it's those little things that like subconsciously bring you into yeah. a movie like that's movie magic mm-hmm. yeah because like their cgi is fine it's not great and it kind of just like pulls you out of like the fairy tale experience so i think it's great that they try to do that as practically as they could yeah um the captain's room t- was made to look like the inside of his father's watch um to represent his troubled mind huh. yeah hmm. and when you like look at it there's like you know there's like gears behind him yeah yeah um received a 22 minute applause at the cons film festival get over yourself con seriously i hear these freaking trivias about oh received a 20 minute applause received an eight minute standing over what are you doing for 22 who is clapping for 22 minutes (laughs) like that is just a bunch of really snobby movie people sitting around freaking uh, i don't know how to make a not obscene reference here but just really (laughs) helping each other out you know what i mean and freaking a man like 22 minutes i'd be like can i watch another movie no i'm at a film festival not a clapping festival i can i cannot abide those things that bugs the crap out of me so snobby okay i'll avoid those trivia from now on no you don't have to it's (laughs) still it's it's still good trivia but good heavens 22 minutes go watch an episode of the office man like seriously Oh, man. Um, so Doug Jones, who was pretty much the only one on set who didn't speak Spanish, had to memorize not only his lines in Spanish, but also for Ophelia's because he couldn't hear the like the mechanism to make his face and ears move. He couldn't mm-hmm. hear. So he had to know like what she was saying and how fast she was saying it so he could reply back to her. A consummate professional. Mm-hmm. Um, it took him five hours to get into the pale man costume. Jeez. Um, it said, I don't know if this is totally true, but it's worth mentioning when the pale man bites the fairy, it said that he, that Doug Jones was biting condoms filled with fake blood. It's a fat yikes, dude. Fat yikes right there. (laughs) Um, the fawn was inspired by a lucid dream that Del Toro repeatedly had as a child. Um, and it said that he he would wake up every night and see the fawn gradually step out from behind a grandfather clock. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, the fawn horns weighed 10 pounds and they had to be applied last because they were so heavy. There's a lot of trivia for this one. Um, okay, wait, this is the last one. All right. Um, our low audiences have interpreted the film's bittersweet ending to be like a re- religious metaphor um, to a psychological allegory, Del, to- uh, Del Toro says um, he relates it to a quote by someone who I cannot say their name. <laughs> it is foreign and it looks Swedish. Um, but pretty much that says the tyrant's reign ends with his death, but the martyr's reign starts with his death. Um, hmm. So take that as you will. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got for you. Thank you. That was some quality trivia. You're welcome. Greatly appreciate it. All right, Becca, you're up. Final thoughts and rating out of 10. Let's go. All right. Well, I was very surprised at how much I love this movie. I didn't think I was not going to like it, but I don't know. I feel like it just like enchanted me. I know it's a sad, depressing movie, but like the fairy tale aspects are very enchanting and... I very much enjoyed it, and I am going to rate it a nine. Wow. Nice. Okay. 
um yeah i really like this movie i love how just how we've talked about just how del toro can mix the super gruesome dark parts with the fun enchanting fairy tale um and i just i just everything he does is just so visually appealing and it's just like kind of a glimpse into his mind and how terrifying it probably is in there um but yeah i really like this movie i'm gonna give this one an 8.9 8.9 yeah i mean we've said what needs to be said it's a great movie it's fun to watch uh and there's something under the surface there as well uh this one for me is an 8.5 Right. So we got a 9.0, an 8.9, and an 8.5. Was it? It was like 8, 8? Yeah. Wow, that's high. Definitely higher than I anticipated that it would be. That puts it on par with something like Birdman, Whoa. Sicario, and The Big Short. Crazy. Look at us go. Crazy stuff. All right, folks. That concludes our discussion of Guillermo del Toro's 2006 uh, fantasy fever dream, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, We are going to talk about some other stuff, uh, mostly other movies and things that we've been watching. Uh, If this is where you leave us, we totally do understand. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with us, we highly encourage it. Uh, You can email us at contact at wewatchpodcast.com. Oh, or you can find us social media, facebook.com slash we watch podcast, uh, Instagram at we watch podcast, Twitter at we watch podcast, just at me on Twitter so that I actually see the tweet. Um, and that's how you get in contact with us. And let's get into some other topics, other things that we have been watching. Sid, maybe you should go first. Okay. Um, so I watched Jerry Maguire this week. Show me the money. <laughs> And it was good. I liked it. Jerry Maguire is so good. Um, I like wasn't a huge fan of Jerry Maguire himself because he kind of sucks. Um, but I really liked it. I honestly wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. But like I think Renee uh, Zellweger was really good in it. The little kid in it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. If my kid is not like him, I don't want it. His freaking glasses. The human head weighs eight pounds. <laughs> so cute. Um, yeah, so I liked that. That one was really good. It was just like, just looking at like how manipulative Jerry was. I just like wasn't a fan of that. <laughs> you had me a hello. <laughs> you complete me. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's stupid, but I love it. Um, he doesn't deserve her. No, definitely not. Um, and then I watched Reservoir Dogs yesterday. Ooh, how did that go? It was really good. I need to watch that. It was really good. Um, it's, it's obvious that it's like his first one, um, because it's, it's pretty much just like all in the same room. Uh, for the uninitiated, uh, Quentin Tarantino's first feature film. Quentin Tarantino's. Um, it's like, you can tell it has a small budget, um, but it was really good. I just, just the way. Is it like very identifiably his still? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely things... I mean, there's no shots of feet, nah. unfortunately. I'd even watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there you can see similar themes. It's not like as crazy as some of his other ones. Of course, there's bloody moments, and um, there are some N-words, which I was not a huge fan of, but what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, it was really good. Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth are amazing in it huh yeah i was really surprised by it um so yeah i watched it it's on my short list for sure i gotta work my way through the rest of his filmography Mm -hmm. and then i started watching the second season of the sinner have you ever heard of that one Mm -mm. that one's really good it's got bill pullman playing uh he's the head detective and the first season is about it's kind of anthology the first season is about jessica beale plays a woman who just like randomly kills someone on the beach and it's just like bill pullman trying to figure out what's going on there and the second season is a little kid poisons his parents so they're just like super what's it on usa it's on Uh, netflix okay yeah (laughs) um i don't know they're just like 
like the stories like especially this season it seems like pretty straightforward that just like oh this kid killed his parents but like they add in so many cool twists to it hmm. and it's just it's really interesting i really like it and bill pullman i love him all anyway right. that's all i've watched cool we only watched uh being john malkovich and it was very very good it was delightful <laughs> have you seen it yeah oh my gosh <laughs> that movie was a treat it really was i gotta say freaking i didn't know that john cusack was capable of being charismatic <laughs> who would have thought but he pulls it off uh-huh. and then john malkovich like just the self-awareness to do a role like that and like i would have loved to be in the pitch meeting with spike jones when he pitched that to john malkovich and to have him be like <laughs> uh, what what could that pitch possibly have been that, for him to say yes you know what i mean no idea I just, uh, you get to play yourself and but you also get to play other people being you and we're gonna there's gonna be a scene where you are every single person in the restaurant <laughs> I love that and it's so the best much. scene seriously Malkovich 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 <laughs> like <laughs> about a third of the way through I looked over at Becca and I was like there's no way this movie finishes without us seeing what happens when he goes inside the portal right <laughs> <laughs> and then like five minutes later that scene came on <laughs> He's he's a busty woman. He's a little baby. He's, <laughs> he's I don't a singer. Know. He's yeah. the waiter. It's just incredible. <laughs> and he's every food choice. Like Oh yeah. yeah. The whole, all the menu <laughs> just says Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> because like it's hard to think of anybody else that that would work for. Like mm-hmm. it, just the name even is so odd in a way. Yeah. That like I don't know, you do it with George Clooney, like being George Clooney. No. I don't know, it just doesn't have the same ring to it. it. I mean, and because we know the name of the movie, but you know what I mean? Like being Harvey Keitel. I don't know. Yeah, I I think like part of the appeal is John Malkovich is like, he's a very like cold, like the character he plays a lot is like a very cold, stern person in authority. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see him be like super goofy and like have all these people go into his mind and like it makes him vulnerable yeah so i think that's part of it and that would be that would be a good movie to one day do a podcast on because there's a lot going on there oh yeah spike jones yeah that was the only thing we watched we watched the master chef we've been busy yeah watched a lot of overwatch league i didn't yeah (laughs) that's my life uh but yeah Anything else that we want to talk about? I don't think so. Nope. The Nightingale is finally coming out, <gasps> Ooh, which I'm ready for. It's nice. screening in LA and New York right now, but I'm I hoping that it comes here. I have been dying to see The Farewell, and I'm super mad that it's only playing in Salt Lake. Oh, so it's not going to come to actual theaters? It's playing at Century and Broadway. Gross. This is like This is like their countrywide release. That's so gross. Yeah. I want to see that too. It looks good, but I don't really want to drive up to Salt Lake. I know. I'm up there every day. Just come join me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. I don't have anything else. All right. Yeah. We're in a bit of a dry spell right now as far as movies go. Things coming out. And time to watch Well, movies. actually, no. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark comes out next week. <gasps> Ooh, I'm excited about that. I'm one. ready for that. More Del Toro. Yeah. But he's just producing. He's not directing. I'm still excited. I'm still excited. I grew up on those books. Yeah. There was one story that just freaked me out for years. No, it was the one with like the person on the hill or something. All I know is I couldn't sleep for weeks. There's the ones that get me like there's the spiders that come out of her cheek. Mm. There's the half dollars in the eyes where like the person goes in and steals the half dollars and it like wakes up the corpse. Yeah. Um, Those are creepy. Just like the illustrations. Yeah. The fact that they let us have those as children. I know. Oh it's my insane. Gosh. No wonder why your favorite movie of last year was Suspiria. Why am I, why am I so maladjusted? <laughs> Freaking scary stories still in the dark volumes one through three. That's why. <laughs> All right, folks. That'll do it for us this week. We thank you for listening. We thank everyone who had a part in making July our best month ever for the third month in a row. Whoa. Um, we don't say it enough, but we love you and we do thank you. 
um, for thinking that we have enough to say for you to spend your time listening to us. Um, but this is also why we ask for your feedback. And we want to know what you guys think, what movies we could do. Um, any thoughts you have on our thoughts or the movies that we've done. We'd love to uh, have this be more of an interactive experience. So if you have anything uh, you want to say to us, just write in and, yeah, contact at wewatchpodcast.com. Uh, or just find us on social media uh, at we Watch Podcast, And that's it. We thank you. We love you. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.